0: Well, you take your bibles this morning and open them to mark chapter 14 mark 14 this morning we are beginning the events that took place during the last night of jesus on earth now i say that loosely because jesus did return to his disciples after his resurrection But this was his last night before his death. So follow along with me in Mark 14, beginning at verse number 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat with the, the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepared for us. And the disciples set out. And went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, One after another, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, Peter, said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your inspired, inerrant, authoritative infallible and sufficient word. Take it, Lord, and use it by your Spirit to lead us into all truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the harsh realities of life is how quickly things can change, isn't it? In a matter of days or even hours, our lives can go from positive and promising (laughs) to disastrous and even dead. And in taking on the fullness of our humanity, Jesus was no stranger to life's sudden changes. And this is exactly what we see in the week leading up to his death, isn't it? Just a few days earlier, on Sunday, he had been ushered into Jerusalem by large crowds shouting messianic praises. But it was now Thursday evening. And by 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, Jesus would be dead. Over the next 18 hours or so, he would be betrayed and abandoned, arrested and tried, condemned and crucified. And we might be tempted to see him as a victim of rapidly changing circumstances beyond his control. But Mark paints a very different picture here in this passage. Instead of being a helpless victim, Jesus faced his suffering with sovereign awareness and control. Knowing precisely how everything was going to play out. And brothers and sisters, that should give us great hope this morning. Because the same Jesus who walked through his darkest night with mastery over every detail also walks with us through our dark nights. And we can trust him with the outcome. And so let's look at these verses together in Mark 14 and find hope in how Jesus faced his last night on earth. There are four main movements in this passage. The first is the setting of the Last Supper, the setting of the Supper. So Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, along with thousands or perhaps even hundreds of thousands other, of other Jewish pilgrims, to observe the Passover feast celebration. It was the annual celebration of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage about 1,500 years or so earlier when on their last night in Egypt, God instructed them to put the blood of a slaughtered lamb over their doors so that the judgment he was bringing on Egypt would pass over them. Now this would be the last time the disciples would celebrate the Passover feast with Jesus. Look at verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water, that's an anomaly in and of itself. Most of the time it was women who carried the water. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And whenever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher, the rabbi, says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare For us. And so here we see the first affirmation in this narrative by Mark that nothing will unfold on this night, this last night of the Lord Jesus. Nothing will unfold here that is out of his control, that is beyond his control, that is beyond his awareness. With divine precision, he describes every detail of the disciples' quest to prepare the Passover. And friends, despite what some commentators suggest, there is no indication here in this text that Jesus secretly arranged all of these details ahead of time. No. In fact, just the opposite. The next verse implies his divine foreknowledge. Verse 16 Says The disciples set out and went to the city, that's Jerusalem, and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. So not a single detail of this evening was left to chance. And it was in this room. At this house in Jerusalem, on this night, that Jesus would give the great upper room discourse that John records in his gospel in chapters 13 through 17. It was here in this room that Jesus would say, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Here, Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Here he would say, You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. John 16, 22. and then he would say in John 16:33 in the world you will have tribulation but take heart i have overcome the world friends these are not the words of a helpless victim are they these are the words of one who is facing his suffering with the certainty of victory Jesus is sovereign over his darkest night, down to the very last detail. So take hope, because he's sovereign over our dark nights as well. And so we come now, secondly, to the next movement here in this passage, and that is the sorrow of betrayal. Look at verse number 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, have you ever been enjoying a pleasant dinner with family or friends? And then just out of the blue, someone brings up a very uncomfortable Subject. And the vibe in the room immediately turns. The table, surrounded with talking and laughing friends and loved ones, suddenly grows silent as odd looks begin to be exchanged, and no one really knows what to say next. And we've probably all had that experience. but not quite like this table in this upper room in Jerusalem. Imagine the shock when Jesus suddenly announces in the middle of their meal that one of them will betray him. Verse 19, Mark records their reaction. He says, they began to be sorrowful. And to say to him, one after another, is it I? Friends, imagine the tension that flooded that room. Verse 20. Jesus said to them, it is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And from what we can piece together in the gospel accounts, Jesus was most likely flanked by John on one side and Judas Iscariot on the other. The betrayer was at the table sharing the meal. He was close to Jesus. He was fulfilling Psalm 41 verse 9. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And then in verse 21, Jesus makes this remarkable statement. He says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for for that man if he had not been born. And here lies one of the deepest mysteries in all of Scripture, illustrated on the night of the Lord's betrayal in flesh and blood. The betrayal of Jesus would unfold precisely as Scripture had foretold. With no variation. But the betrayer was fully responsible for his actions. The sovereignty of God in all things does not negate the responsibility of man in his own choices. And Jesus says to the disciples he's speaking to Judas here it would have been better if you had never been born wow have you ever said that to someone later that evening before they left the upper room jesus His thoughts returned to Judas. And when he prayed in his great high priestly prayer for his disciples, he prayed to his father in John 17, this is verse 12. Jesus said, While I was with them, the disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And here's what I want us to see here. Jesus is not speaking out of some cold mechanical determinism as if we're all just robots, as if Judas was a robot. There is deep sorrow and woe here in his words. Jesus knew this night had to come. But it did not make the heartbreak of betrayal any less bearable for him. But I wonder, friends, do we recognize the Judas that lives in our hearts Would we share sweet fellowship with the Lord and then go betray Him to our own worldly pursuits and agendas just to live however we want to live? We sell Him for 30 pieces of silver if we have to. But we're going to do it our way. Do we recognize the Judas living in our hearts? Woe to us this morning, friends. Woe to us who betray the Lord. But Jesus is always extending grace, isn't he? He's always holding out mercy and grace. And so now this passage moves from the sorrow of betrayal to the symbols of grace. Look at verse number 22. We've mentioned... Many times before in our study of Mark, how he will often frame his narrative in three layers, like a sandwich, right? Two layers and some, something in the middle, and he does it here again. Because in between the twin announcements that Judas will betray him, and the rest of his disciples will forsake him, we find what? A display of Grace. A display of sacrifice in the institution of what Christians call the Lord's Supper. Verse 22 As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood. Of the covenant. Some translations say of the new covenant. Which is poured out for many. This is my body. This is my blood. Jesus is holding bread and wine. When he says those words. Words that have been debated for centuries in the church. The Roman Catholics believe that the bread and the wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus. Lutherans believe that Jesus is somehow physically present with and in the elements. Presbyterians and other Protestants believe that he is spiritually present at the communion table. And some believe that the bread and wine are just mere symbols and nothing more. It is beyond the focus of this message to evaluate each one of those views and to try to formulate a full theology of communion. So I want to say only that the point that Jesus is making here is not about how his body mysteriously becomes whatever it is and his blood in the cup in the bread. That's not the point. The point is that he is the new Passover. (laughs) See, He is the new Passover. He is the slaughtered lamb whose sacrificial death inaugurates a new covenant in which the wrath of a holy God passes over those who have the blood of the Lamb of God applied to their hearts by faith. And so the bread and the wine then that we often argue so much about are signs and symbols of grace. They point us to the substitutionary death nature of His death. His body broken for us. His blood poured out for us. In our place, it was us that should have been broken and poured out, you see. And so now, because of Him and what He has done for us, all who trust in Him might be reconciled to God. There is so much theology here that we really should get into. but I know that most of you would rather get out of here before 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock, so we'll just keep going. I want to ask us this morning, do we meet Jesus at this table in a very real way? Do we draw grace from the mystery of the bread and the cup? His body and blood given for us? Or is this just some sort of empty and dry ritual that just makes church longer. Think about that, friends. Verse 30. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Yet another affirmation that Jesus knows exactly how this night is going to play out. He knows this is it for him. This is their last supper. And so now we turn to the fourth movement in this passage. Look at verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all, fall away. He's already said Judas is gone. He's gone. He's done. He's And now he's looking at the rest of them and saying you will all fall away. For it is written Just like it was written of Judas, it is written of the rest of you. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Skip to verse number 29. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away. He's always the one kind of standing off. No, even though everyone else falls away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, the ESV says, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. We've seen the setting of the supper, the sorrow of betrayal, the symbols of grace. And now, lastly, we see the silliness of self confidence. The silliness of self-confidence. The table is set. The meal is shared. The betrayer announced. The new covenant inaugurated. And now they are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Near the Mount of Olives when Jesus makes another shocking statement. Not only will he be betrayed by one of his own. He will be forsaken by all Of his own. The prophet Zechariah foretold it. They will abandon him and Jesus will suffer alone. But Peter objects and he says, No way, Lord, no, no way. I'll die with you if I have to, but I will never forsake you. And then the rest of the disciples stand in solidarity with Peter in his confession of fearless allegiance. They all said the same, Mark says. But in a matter of hours, the disciples will be scattered. And Peter... Will deny Jesus three times. What a silly display of sinful self confidence, right here. And how prone we are to be just like our brother Peter. As if we have it within ourselves to stand against the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil that seek to draw us away from the Lord. You see, faithfulness to Christ is not accomplished, never, it cannot be accomplished by human willpower. This is not a mind over matter kind of deal. Faithfulness to Christ is accomplished by divine grace, by confessing our weakness and saying with that old gospel song, Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Do you ever feel like that, church, that you can't even get out of bed if Jesus doesn't draw you out of that bed? There's no way you can face what's before you in a day if He's not right there with you. But we rarely look at life like that, do we? We get up in our own power, our own self-sufficiency, our own self-confidence. Just like our brother Peter. But friends, the message of this point, in this message, this sermon, this morning, it's not just to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, but to trust in Him for the grace to keep us faithful through all the dark nights of our lives when we are tempted to lose our faith. We see this all the time happening in the culture around us. They call it deconstruction. When we are tempted to lose our faith and deny the Lord, we must throw ourselves upon Him and turn away from our self-confidence And not if, but when we fall. Because we will fall. All of us will fall. If Peter fell, if the eleven fell who were with him. If they fell, we will fall. And when it happens, here's the beauty, here's the promise We know, because of what we see here, that Jesus is not finished with us. He's not finished. Look at verse number 28. I held it out for the end on purpose. Verse 28. In all this talk of betrayal and sacrifice and abandonment, hope is hiding right here in plain sight. Jesus says in verse 28, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now on the surface you may see, well, that's kind of straightforward. But look at what he's saying. (laughs) After telling his disciples that they will all do the unimaginable and forsake him. He says, this is not the end of your story, guys. You will see me again. When this is all over, I'm going to meet you back home in Galilee. Oh, friends, what a promise. What a promise. When we go through the darkest night of our lives and we do the unthinkable, even things that we swore we would never do, Jesus will come to us again. Not with condemnation and judgment, but with grace, a risen Savior, whose righteousness will restore us to sweet fellowship with Him. Oh, the riches of His grace. Anybody ever done something you swore you'd never do? So did Peter. And Jesus says, I'll meet you back home. And so then when we come to our last night on earth, Every one of us is going there, friends. Jesus had his last night. We're going to have ours. When we come to our last night on earth, we know that he has victoriously gone before us. And he will meet us home. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you find hope And strength in these promises. Let's pray.